You know, part of being an authentic and genuine community of believers is to not only rejoice with each other when times are good and when we're rejoicing, and we need to do that, but also uh, during times and seasons of loss to come alongside each other and acknowledge that and just get real about life and how life is sometimes. And uh, every year we set aside a weekend to do just that, and this is that weekend. I think it was seven or eight months ago, I was flipping through the channels one night and uh, landed on a, a Christian television station where I heard a guy telling this incredible story, this unbelievable story of, of God-centered hope arising from loss and grief. And as I listened to Robert Rogers tell his story, I, I very clearly heard the whisper of the Spirit say, New Life needs to hear this message. Ask him if he'll come. And so I did. We asked him, and Robert graciously agreed to come. And uh, about a month ago, we shared uh, some time in prayer together while Robert was driving across Pennsylvania, I think it was. And again, it was just affirmed to me that this is a man whose life has been transformed and touched by God, and his heart has been tenderized by the experiences that he's gone through. And so I've asked uh, Robert to come and share his story with us today. And I know God's going to speak to you through it. So would you please give a warm New Life welcome to Robert Rogers. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and for making me feel so welcome. And, Pastor, for inviting us to be real in front of each other, in front of God, because he can handle our weaknesses, our infirmities, our hurts, our pains, everything about us. And I thank you for making me feel welcome that you can even handle me, because as I unpacked this morning and realized I got my black shoes, my black pants, my black belt, I have my brown socks. <laughs> Woo-wee, that's okay. Can we just be real with each other? Life happens, doesn't it? <laughs> that's okay. At least my feet are warm with their smart wools. <laughs> well, thanks be to God for His Word, for His grace, and for these trials that we go through. You know, next week is Thanksgiving, and it's difficult to say thank you for tough times, but they are an opportunity for us to grow closer to Him and closer to each other if we choose to, and to worship like we just did. I'm so thankful for Station 2 and leading us to the cross through that experience of worship, because in His presence, when we worship, there's fullness of joy. And if you need some joy in your life today, if you need some hope, I encourage you, spend time in the presence of God. Get to know Him. That's the whole reason I'm here. Not that you can see or hear me, but that you can know God. And that's why I'm here, is to point you up. And you might say, well, we're already in church, Robert. We all know God. Well, you might know a lot about Him, but it's a whole other thing to know Him. And if you don't already have that personal relationship with Him, I urge you, before you leave today, don't waste another moment. You may never get an opportunity. Life is fragile. You don't know what can happen outside those doors. Anything can happen. How do you know him? By saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord over all my life. Because if you don't, you could have big time regrets. What's the worst regret in life? Ever thought about that? What's the worst regret in life? Well, I believe it would be if today was your last day and you stood before God Almighty. He said, why should I let you in here? And you say, well, I was a good person. I went to church a lot and... I was very moral and everything, and he says, get out of here, I never knew you. Well, Scripture is very clear, right? Jesus 
prophesied this would happen. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's one thing to call him Lord. It's another thing to make him Lord over your life. Please, make him Lord over every part of your life. Surrender your life and even your broken heart and your pieces to him. Get to know him through his word. Read this every single day. It is life. It is vital. Because if you know him, then you can start to live what I call a life of no regrets. And I put that horizontally because it extends, first of all, from no regrets with God to no regrets with one another with your spouse, with your children, with your loved ones, with your work associates, with that person who's maybe they're still mad at you just because you looked at them funny last Christmas for not eating their fruitcake <laughs> or whatever it might be. Don't we hold grudges for silly things? Get over it. <laughs> Life is too short. Get over it. Forgive. You might think, I can't forgive that person. Do you know what they took from me? Do you know what they stole from me? Do you know what they did to me? Well, I don't know your situation, and maybe it is difficult. I understand that kind of pain. But we all just got to come to the cross. And I, that's why I get on my knees every single day. And I say, Lord, I cannot do it on my own. I need your grace, your strength to love that person, to forgive that person, to live this life of no regrets. And so I invite you to the cross today. As we light these candles at the end to commemorate our losses in life, surrender it to the cross of Jesus Christ and let him heal. Let him heal through the power of his word, the power of his blood on Calvary. And so I want to share some scriptures with you because my words can't change your life, but, but these words can. And so I pray that they pierce and penetrate your heart and draw you unto him. Have you ever fought, felt like this from Lamentations chapter 3? The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Have you just been through something that you can't even attach words to? Just a few months ago, Joshua here, who died in a tragic accident, you can't, I can't even imagine your pain of all his loved ones. Remember after 9-11, you couldn't even think of words to describe what had just happened? The Bible relates to where we're at. The book of Psalms is a lament. It's like the reality TV of the Bible. <laughs> if you want to connect with where you're going through, read the Psalms. But I love this verse because it gives us hope. It goes on to say this, Yet I still dare to hope. Can we please say that together? Dare to hope. Let's say it one more time with deep conviction. Dare to hope. Yes. Sometimes you've got to tell your heart to do it. It takes a few times till it finally sinks in. I know for me it does. So I've got to say the words a lot. But we can dare to hope that God loves us, that his mercies are new every single morning. And one of the first things we need to do is to face it and to accept it. Not to ignore it or pretend it never happened. But like Corinthians says, accept whatever situation the Lord has put you in. Can you accept that? The Lord has put you there for a reason. <laughs> it may hurt. maybe a lot of pain. But you've got to accept it. And then look what it says. And continue on. Don't stay put in that valley of the shadow of death. Don't plant your feet and do nothing. Don't be inoperable and rendered useless. That's just what the devil wants you to do. But move on. Do something good. Somebody needs to hear what you have to give. Somebody needs to hear your story. Out of every great test comes a great 
testimony. It all depends what you do with it. You can't always control what happens to you, but you can control your response to what happens to you. And so mine's just one story of of many. Any one of you could be up here, but I'm honored to share mine today. And so here's where my story begins. I am a Buckeye. I grew up in Cincinnati, not too far from here. I'm the youngest of eight children. My parents are still alive and married. Thank you, God. My father's 80 years old, and they've been married 57 years. And so we have a lot to celebrate. They have lots of grandchildren and and a great-grandchild so far. And, And so I was raised in a marvelous legacy of faith and family, and I'm thankful for that. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I was an altar boy as a kid and went through baptism and confirmation. I loved it. I said a lot of great things. I loved going to church. I called him Lord many times. But I hadn't yet fully made him Lord. And see, there's a big difference. And no matter what your background, your denomination, or affiliation, can't we all be guilty of that? Of just going through the motions, just playing church, just showing up in the pew? God wants our heart. And when I was 16, I was brought to my knees. I said, Lord... I get it. I give you my heart. Everything, 100%. And it's then that I truly fell in love with Jesus. And I bought my very first Bible, and I fell in love with his word. I could not get enough of it. And I searched the scriptures and saw how they connected. And and I started memorizing scriptures and went to a Navigator's Bible study. And I encourage each of you, read the Bible every day. We don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Make it a part of you. You will know him that much more through Scripture. Well, I love music, and I'm going to share a little bit with you this morning. I love to play piano, and I started studying music at the Cincinnati Conservatory as a youngster. Then I went on to Anderson College in Indiana and studied music for a couple of years in college. I love to play the piano, but I also love to eat. And I figured, you know, it's going to be tough having my own big family someday on a musician's salary, and I thought, you know, I better just do something a little more practical. So I transferred to the University of Cincinnati to study electrical engineering. Yeah, not too many music theory classes transferred to electrical engineering. So it took me two in music, I don't have enough fingers, five in engineering, seven years to get through it all. But you know what's beautiful about God? He doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste your time, your talent, even your tears. The Bible says he stores our tears in heaven in a bucket. I must have lots of five-gallon buckets in heaven. Don't you feel that way sometimes? But he doesn't waste anything. And part of my curriculum brought me to Boston, Massachusetts as a co-op student. I was an intern designing computer chips during the day, and on evenings and weekends, I got a job playing piano downtown Boston at a sidewalk cafe. Yeah, I thought having this mullet would be really cool. (laughs) Isn't that hideous? Let's pray they never come back, amen? (laughs) Well, thankfully, it didn't scare away a pretty girl from northeast Kansas named Melissa. She was a farmer's daughter, and she sat next to me, and here I am, this geeky, nerdy engineer playing piano and kind of shaking in my boots. But as soon as Melissa sat there, we started talking. It just flowed. It was beautiful. That never happened to me. And do you know why? I think it happened this time because I was seeking God. I wasn't seeking a date or a spouse, and frankly, neither was Melissa. She had had it with guys. It just happened. It had to be a divine appointment. How else could you get a city slicker from Cincinnati, a country girl from Kansas, smack dab in the middle of downtown Boston. (laughs) That can only be God. But God can do it. If you seek him, the Bible says, he'll give you all that you need. I guess it didn't hurt when Melissa reached into her purse, pulled out a $5 bill, put it in that tip cup you see there on the piano. (laughs) Ever since then, she says, that's the best five bucks I ever spent. (laughs) So (laughs) we went out for ice cream on our very first date. I love ice cream. That really sealed the deal. And I asked her to marry me on New Year's Eve in Cincinnati on a riverboat. 
on the Ohio River and very romantic. She said yes. And so we got married one year later on New Year's Eve, and I still had my mullet. <laughs> it still hadn't gone away yet. Whee! Okay, so I graduated with one job offer during a recession, and it was from California, so I thought I'd better take it. And so we packed up our covered wagon and moved west to that land of fruits and nuts. And it took a little adjusting for two Midwesterners to live in California. Nothing wrong with it, but just very different. And we had to acclimate. We had to accept the situation God put us in and continue on. But we embraced it. It was beautiful. We went hiking, biking, camping, and, and we loved it. But, you know, when you get married, you really got to combine everything that you're about, don't you? And the tough stuff and everything. And Melissa had revealed to me that behind that beautiful smile was a lot of pain because she was molested by her father from the time she was eight years old. I could not fathom that. And somehow she had the guts and the courage to forgive him to go through counseling, to reconcile. It took many, many years that it had lots of repercussions in our marriage, just from the effects of it and the flashbacks and so forth. Do you trust God? Do you trust God to say, Lord, why did this happen? It, it wasn't my fault. It just happened to me. But God can somehow use your tribulation for your transformation if you trust him to and if you allow him to handle your heart and to turn you towards him. Well, you know, we also decided in our marriage to honor God in every part of our marriage, including our finances. We decided to tithe from the very beginning. And I bring up tithing not because Pastor Steve asked me to, but because it's right in here. Read the book. It's all through here. It's not about money. It's about faith. It's about worship. And especially in a recession, man, remain faithful. It will stretch your faith, and you will know him that much more and come to rely on him that much more deeply. But, you know, we wanted a big family. I mean, that's my dream, is to have that big family portrait with kids, grandkids, and many generations. And so God blessed us with many children, but none of them came easily. And our first, McKenna, was no exception. She took over 48 hours of hard labor and delivery to get here, followed by a C-section. She was over two weeks late, but she was 9 pounds, 11 ounces, 22 inches long, and upside down. <laughs> but after all that, Melissa still said, ah, she's worth it. And you can see through her eyes, she is indeed worth it. Well, when she was about a year old, there was a Tuesday. I would have normally gone to work early, but I lingered at home to have breakfast with my family. And, and we had to run to the grocery store. But before we left, Melissa collapsed on our bed upstairs. She was white as a ghost. I called the hospital. They said, get right down here. I picked her up, placed her in our car, and got our daughter and everything. We raced to the hospital. They had to wheel her in, and they, they tried to take a little bit of blood, but there was virtually no pressure. But they figured out she was pregnant. We didn't know it. And evidently, the baby had lodged in one of her tubes and exploded. It was an ectopic rupture. She needed emergency surgery and transfusion. And see, had I gone to work that morning, I would have come home to a dead wife. Can you accept whatever the situation the Lord has put you in and say, Lord, I, I'm in terrible pain, but I thank you. And I was thankful on one hand that my wife was still alive. But I got to tell you, my other hand, I was kind of shaking my fist at God saying, why, God, why? Come on. We want a big family. We love you. We are tithing to you. We're memorizing scripture. We even listen to focus on the family. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that exempt us from some of this tough stuff in life? I wish I could say it did, but Jesus promised, in this world, you will have troubles, right? But take heart. He's overcome the world. He's come to heal your broken heart to comfort you. 
even though tough stuff still happens. And thankfully, within about half a year, we conceived again, and we moved to Kansas City and bought our very first home. And a few months later, we gave birth to our very first boy named Zachary. And he was an eight-pound whopper, born with no complications, completely naturally. We were thrilled until the next day when the doctors came and said, "Uh, we believe your son has Down syndrome. Bam! Boy, that was like a baseball bat in my gut. Suddenly there I was, just buckled at the foot of the cross again, saying, Lord, I, I can't do this. I, I had to surrender the child we were expecting, surrender my dreams, and accept what God gave us. He faced a lifetime of therapy and hospital visits. He was autistic. He had a colostomy bag. We taught him sign language because of his cleft palate. All these complications, but all these blessings. We learn by having a child with special needs that it's really an opportunity. A disability is an opportunity to grow closer to God and closer to one another. We also learned, don't ever feed your boy an entire bucket of blueberries. (laughs) Or he might say to you too, Mom and Dad, do I ever have a diaper for you? (laughs) I know, I changed that sucker. I'll never forget it. (laughs) A couple years later, we gave birth to another little big guy named Nicholas, another nine-pound whopper, another 36 hours of hard labor delivery, another C-section, another miracle. I could talk about him for days and days as well. But when, he, when uh, we celebrated our 10th anniversary, Melissa said, hey, we're going to have another baby. And we were thrilled to have number four on the way. But then two weeks later, we miscarried again. Boy, that was devastating. Part of our heart, part of our flesh. I'm sure a lot of you understand that kind of pain. It's part of you. Maybe you've lost a child before birth. Maybe you've even had an abortion. And you have some big-time regrets after the loss of that child. Maybe you've lost a child shortly after birth or a full-grown child. Maybe you've lost a parent. I don't don't know what that feels like. Or a sibling or a loved one. Or you've lost your dream. Maybe you've lost your job or your home recently. Maybe you deal with a disability or you experience what they call the living death of divorce. I cannot imagine how your heart must bleed every single day. Whatever it is, we all face those losses in life. And we all have the opportunity to say, Lord, I trust you. It's that simple. Either you trust him or you don't. My faith is very simple. I believe this. I believe this. I mean, that's it. And so we had to follow our hearts and follow our faith. And it just like seemed like our hearts were saying, adopt. Just an unction, just a prompting, adopt. And so we went to a short informational meeting, and we had tears streaming down our face. We knew this was for us. Long story short, 11 months later, we were on a 747 flying from San Francisco all the way to Beijing, China. We had heard about a little orphan girl who nobody wanted because she had a defect with her heart. She was special needs. We thought, we got a special needs boy. Let's go get a special needs girl. (laughs) And so two weeks after arriving in China, we came across that jetway in Kansas City to meet our other three children with this beautiful little girl from China. And our hearts just broke. (laughs) They just said, oh, how could nobody want her? She's beautiful. We named her Alina. And she was instantly just one of the gang, a member of our family. Because we could never quite make all four smile at once. (laughs) I'm sure your parents know what that's like. You get out the cookies, the toys, the songs. You do what you can, but it doesn't always work, does it? That's all right. Life is precious. Life is sacred. And I implore each of you parents here to love your children, your grandchildren with all you've got. 
Don't let a day go by without letting them know how much you love them. Tell them you love them. Jesus said, as the Father loves me, so I love you. Right? He demonstrated, but he also told us. You've got to use those words. Make a memory. Make a memory, a mantra of our family. You can always make more money. You can't always make more memories. The word says this. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of the economy. Don't be afraid of the layoff. Don't be afraid of the diagnosis. Whatever it is, don't be afraid. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown, for I am the Lord, your Savior. Do not be afraid. We're going to watch a short video now of a time in my life when I had to truly decide, Lord, do I trust you? Are you really here with me no matter what? Let's watch this. It was Labor Day weekend of 2003 on Saturday morning. It started off like a typical Rogers morning where we slowly wake up and I'd go down and prepare pancakes for my kids, make Mickey Mouse pancakes for my kiddos, and chocolate chip pancakes for Melissa. Although we were on a bit of a schedule because we had to, to drive three hours to Wichita, Kansas for a wedding. It was raining most of the day and the trip down there. After the reception, we uh, stepped outside to bid farewell to the bride and groom, and it was still pouring down rain. We loaded up the van around 8 o'clock, and uh, Melissa wanted to drive first. The Labor Day weekend was a soggy washout for millions of Americans. The National Weather Service has issued a flash flood warning. It was pouring buckets now, I mean, just teeming torrential, torrential rain. I'd check from time to time and say, you, you doing okay, Melissa? Yeah, I'm all right. Wipers are going full blast. You couldn't hardly see, but we tried to follow other cars and their taillights stay on the road that way. And without realizing it, right around 9 p.m., we splashed into a flash flood, and it was up to our bumper. And it was just unreal what we were facing. It was almost disbelief at first, and what, what do we do? And we called one of our friends from church, to pray. And so I picked the phone up and um, there was a voice on the other end. She's just like, Debbie, I need you to get a hold of the prayer line and I need you to pray. The water's up to the seats. We're in, we're, we're in trouble here. And I'm like, you can't get out of the van. And she's like, no, the water's too high. And us with three kids, four kids, what are we going to do? Carry two, two kids in each one in each arm? What if we drop one? No, we can't do that. While we were on that phone call, the water had risen so high that it pressed our van up against the concrete median. And so we were completely trapped, and the, the engine had stalled at this point. And we suddenly felt the van pick up, and felt like we were riding a wave. And we were taken across two lanes of traffic, and I just remember a big hard thud like we hit something. My guess is it was a culvert, possibly. Melissa was still on the phone, and and... She just yelled, Jesus, save us, Jesus, save us. And we said, we got to kick out the window. I remember Robert saying, Melissa, switch places with us, with me. And I was like, Melissa, I'll call. I'll call and I'll get a hold. She says, okay. As I kicked out the window, the force of the water was like 
popping a balloon. It flushed everything and everyone out of our van that wasn't tied down, including now me, McKenna, and Melissa were instantly just sucked into the water. I was tossing and turning in the water like, like a rag doll. Somehow I wound up on the left-hand shore on my hands and knees and just crawled out. And my legs were like jello. I couldn't even stand. All I could, all I do was lift my arms up to heaven and just cry out for God. Just, oh God, oh God, I could barely even talk. I, my stomach tightened and I threw up everything that I ingested. And I called up for Melissa several times, Melissa, Melissa. And I, I could barely even talk, barely even yell. I looked for our van and couldn't see a thing. I mean, just absolutely nothing. But I looked back towards the freeway and I could see flashing lights. And I knew I had to go for help because there, there was nothing I could do. And so as fast as my legs would take me, I made my way back to the freeway. I had to climb over a four-foot barbed wire fence and climb up the 30-foot embankment. And I found a police officer there. And, and I said, my wife and four kids are still down there. I didn't know where they were. I said, they're down there. And he looked at me like disbelief, as if, where'd I come from? How could I possibly have survived that? And eventually an ambulance came, so they sent me in the ambulance. About one in the morning, they finally uh, drove through the flooded section, which had now finally gone down, and drove the ambulance to the hospital in Emporia, Kansas. Four or five in the morning, they came to my room, an officer and a chaplain, they had their hats on their chest. And they said, Mr. Rogers, we found your van. And we need to ask you to identify the bodies of your three youngest children. They said, they are dead. And so I went down with Melissa's brother had met up with me by that point and her father and they pulled back the drape. There before me was Zachary, my little big guy, Nicholas, my buddy boy, Alina, my little sweet pea from China. Dead. I mean cold, lifeless, wet. And all I could do was just collapse over each one of them. I just collapsed over each one of their bodies and draped mine over theirs and stroked their hair and kissed them and groaned and wailed and cried from my gut like I was going to throw up again. I can't imagine. About 10 in the morning, they came to my room again and said, Mr. Rogers, we found McKenna. And she was a short distance from the van. The van was upside down, about a mile and a half from the freeway. And uh, McKenna was just a short distance from it. She had evidently caught in the barbed wire fence. And so I had to go down that long hallway once again and into that emergency room and identify Annie's first little girl, my precious little peanut butter cup whom I love with all my heart. She had just turned eight years old. And that was the worst day of my life. I lost all four of my children in a second. Well, it took three whole days until finally found Melissa. On Tuesday, they came to my room about 7 or 8 in the morning and said, oh, Robert, we found Melissa's purse. Here it is. And we found Melissa. And she's dead.
missing mom who was swept away by a flash flood has been found. Melissa Rogers was driving with her husband and their four children on Saturday when the floodwaters struck their vehicle without... So my love, my life, my friend, who I proposed to on a riverboat in Cincinnati, Ohio, and married in Cincinnati almost 12 years before that, who we have been faithful to and lived a life full of memories and rich family times, a life of no regrets, was gone. My whole world was washed away in an instant. There were flash floods in Kansas Saturday night. As much as a foot of rain turned Interstate 35 into raging rapids. The rising waters trapped the family's minivan against a highway barrier. In a matter of minutes, Robert Rogers lost everything Saturday night on a dark savor every single precious minute with your spouses and children. Hug and kiss them every day, every morning and every evening. Tell them over and over how much you love them. Snuggle with them at bedtime. Place your hand on their heads and bless them every day as I did. Because you rule over all, and I trust you, and it hurts. And I don't know why, but I still trust you because I choose to. And sometimes it's hard to keep a measure of vision when you can barely see through your tears, isn't it? That's why it's so important to keep this in your heart and in front of you. Because I found something will consume you when you've lost someone or something in life. Something will consume you to fill that void, but only Christ will satisfy. There is no earthly addiction that will satisfy, but only Christ. We have that choice to either stay paralyzed in our pain or to keep on moving, to accept the situation that God has put us in and to continue on. Like the Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He was there with me in the water. I know it. I sensed his peace. And he is here with you right now. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? Do you trust him? That he can somehow reach in and bring beauty out of those ashes, somehow reach in and bring goodness out of your tragedy. He did it, in my case, immediately. People who gave their whole hearts to Christ after seeing my story and me on television and saying, man, if he can do it, I can do it. I'm going to give my whole heart to him. Praise the Lord. Even one more soul, what greater good could come? But they also found our camera and the wreckage of the, our minivan. And would you believe they were able to develop that roll of film? It's truly a miracle. It came out with this picture that we took that night of the reception. You can see the candles behind us. And those of you with children can appreciate how it's a statistical impossibility for four kids to look at a camera at once and smile. <laughs> and yet that's what they're doing. It's beautiful. And I have that picture on a blue bookmark that 
I'd love to give each one of you before you leave today just as a way to remember a miracle, to remember what God can do. Everything in life has a season, the Bible tells us. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. But then look what it goes on to say. He has made everything beautiful in its time. My family was great. They're beautiful. And they're more beautiful now than I can possibly imagine. I can only imagine. I cannot wait to see them. I feel like I got one foot in heaven. You know how that is? <laughs> but I got to say, it was beautiful. Well, I got to be Melissa's husband and our children's father. And somehow, especially this week of Thanksgiving, I have to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that time. I found true love. A lot of people never even get to experience that. Can you be thankful and say, Lord, that was a beautiful season. And then to believe, Lord, somehow you're going to bring another beautiful season, another chapter. I'm going to trust you to do that. And Psalm 50 says that. Trust me in your times of trouble. Trust me. And it says he'll do two things. Number one, he says, I will rescue you. I don't know how, but I know he will. He says, I will rescue you. He rescued my family. They got to go to heaven that night. <laughs> oh, I wish I was with him. But he rescued me in a different way so I could be with you here in Ohio this Sunday morning in November. He will rescue you some way, somehow, sometime. I know he will. And then number two, he says, you will give me glory. Well, you catch that? <laughs> Say, what? <laughs> how are you going to bring glory through my mess? Well, through your mess, God can bring a message. A message if you just trust him enough to. If you respond with the attitude of gratitude and not of bitterness, but to say, Lord, use me. Use me up. I'm broken. Like the woman with the alabaster jar. She didn't just spray a spritz, you know, on Jesus' feet. She poured everything. And when her perfume was gone, what did she use? Her tears. Even her tears were worship. It's beautiful. That's how our life should be. I truly believe God displays his glory best through our pain. When he has our pain to step into. Because <laughs> he loves to show up and do something. So really, our pain isn't at all about us. A lot of times we complain so much, it seems like it's about us. But our pain is really, it's all about Him. And so I'd like to share part of this psalm that I composed shortly after the flood based on this verse of Scripture when Jesus was praying, Father, should I pray, save me from what lies ahead? Oh, no, this is the whole reason I came. Father, glorify Your name. Rather than saying, how can I get out of this? In essence, Jesus was saying, what can I get out of this? What glory can I bring to you, Father? That's a great challenge for each one of us. Rather than, Lord, get me out of here. Get me out of this recession. How about, Lord, what can I do for the glory of your name? Take these shattered pieces. Put them back together. Make something wonderful. With the fragments of my life Use me for your kingdom I surrender to your will I give you full permission To make me better still Oh Lord I still love you Lord, I still love 
Yes, I still trust you With my heart and my soul and my life Through the fire and through my pain I'll still praise you in all the rain Hold me near to your heart For my life is in your hands I still love you, Jesus I still trust you With my heart and my soul Sometimes the most intense praise comes amidst the most intense pain. It's an act of worship to say, Lord, I still trust you. Even now, I still love you. Use me for something good. Bring joy out of my mourning. Bring praise out of my despair. And he can do it if you choose to let him. And I've been honored to have done that these past Six plus years as I poured out my heart and sharing my story freely to whoever invites me. You know, I've gone all this time. I've, thank God I've had no depression, no nervous breakdowns. I've not done, I've never done any drugs, no drunkenness or promiscuity. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God because that's humanly impossible. <laughs> but with God, all things are possible. Amen. Amen. That's right. I give glory to God for that. I made the choices, but he gave me the strength. Now, I also went through three solid years of professional grief counseling. I highly recommend that. I also ate lots of ice cream and peanut butter. I highly recommend that, too. <laughs> Thank God for those things. But, you know, it was choices. And if I can offer one word that has helped me to heal the most, serve. Serve, yes. It sounds backwards, doesn't it? Hey, yeah, but I'm hurting. I need people to pour in. Well, as you pour out, God will pour in. It's amazing how he does that. It sounds, you know, but God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And that's how it has worked. As I've poured out around the world and ministering to orphans in Russia and Haiti and here in India, after the tsunami to so many who had lost their loved ones in turbulent waters, boy, God just filled me up. And I got a passion for these orphans. There's over 140 million on this planet right now. And so much so that I began a foundation. I call it the Mighty in the Land Foundation. And I got a big vision. It's to sponsor five orphanages on five continents around the world in honor of my five heavenly family members. That's my vision. I just need more provision to bring it to pass. But one by one, they are coming. And I believe in tithing not just personally, but also as a ministry. And so 10% that comes into this ministry of what I do and tell them my story, I put into this orphanage foundation fund. And so God's bringing them to pass. And here's the first one. It's in Russia. We call it the Melissa Home. And we dedicated it in 2006, three years ago. It's a beautiful family setting with teenage orphan girls who would have otherwise possibly been on the streets or in prostitution. And this helps to get them on their feet and into school and to do something good with their lives. And last year, we sent the funding to Rwanda, Africa, to help build the McKenna Home in this village of hope in a country that was torn apart by genocide in 1994. 
That's two underway so far and three more as God provides the means. What an honor to be a part of their lives. I've also been honored to have partnered with Focus on the Family. and It took me several years to scrape out the walls of my heart onto the pages of this book. It's called Into the Deep. Into the Deep, one man's story of how tragedy took his family but could not take his faith. You see, I may have lost my family, but I did not lose my joy, my faith, my hope, my trust. People who have read it have said, Robert, I couldn't put it down. It's helped to change the way I live my life. And do you know why? Not because of me. It's because of this. I loaded it with Scripture, and Scripture will change your life and draw you to Him. And so these books are available in the back if you need one or you know somebody else. Maybe they couldn't be here today and you know they need one. And here's my pledge to you, especially in this economy. If you need one and you can't afford it, you just take it. If you need it, you take it. Or give whatever you feel led to give. If it's a dollar, if you want to send me a check later, whatever. I trust you. Okay, I trust God. This all belongs to him anyway. He'll take care of it. I would rather these seeds be planted in your life now than to go home in a box with me. They would do more good in your life and to help draw others to Christ. People have told me my music has helped them, and so I put that down on a few CDs. Those are back there too if you like them. Same goes for them. If you need them, you just take them. They will bless you and help draw you into the presence of Christ. And so I, I do this full time. Remember, I'm the geeky, nerdy engineer, and this is my least comfortable spot behind a microphone, and I don't even have that. <laughs> it's just me. I'm just burying my heart to you. I've done this for over six years, for over 500 times as best I can track. Folks, I am not capable of that. I cannot do that on my own. It only comes from God. My heart truly bleeds every time I tell my story. It's very painful. It's cost me everything, and yet I charge nothing. I don't have an agent. I just go where I'm invited. I'm honored that pastor invited me here. I just want to draw your heart to God and draw parents and children towards one another by challenging to live a life of no regrets. Starting today, God is a God of second chances. And my big goal is to impact 100 million people with this message by the end of this year. <laughs> That's a big number. But we serve a bigger God who can do whatever above whatever we can imagine. But I need your prayer. It doesn't happen without prayer. We all need prayer, don't we? Would you please pray for me? I just ask one time a month. What day were you born on? Just pray on that day every month. Just take five seconds. I'd be deeply honored. There's some sign-up sheets in the back if you care to jot down your name and I'd love to just give you for free as my gift to you, a wristband with my motto on it. No God, no regrets. It's a reminder to pray, but even more so it's a reminder to know God more every day and to live that life of no regrets. Ah, Everybody breathe. <laughs> Can you dare to hope? Let's say it again one more time. Dare to hope. Yes, my heart will dare to hope in you. God of all creation, who is Lord over all, who is still my vision and can bring good out of anything. Because the Bible says that God released Jesus from the horrors of death and raised him back to life again. For death could not keep him in its grip. Don't you love that? Death couldn't keep Christ in his grip. Since Christ lives within me, it can't keep me in its grip either. <laughs> I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give out. I'm not going to give up. And if Christ lives within you, you don't have to be under that stranglehold of death all of your life. See, the Bible says, yeah, you've allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. There's that lifting up. God lifts up our head. He lifts up our hearts. He wants to raise us up to him. And then look what else he'll do. It says that you will restore me to even greater honor. 
He wants to honor you and comfort you once again. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. God came to comfort the brokenhearted. That's what Jesus is here for, is to comfort you through the Holy Spirit. And the comfort he's given to me, I try to partake and give to you now. See, it happened all through Scripture. In the Old Testament, New Testament. Remember Job lost all ten of his children? At the end of the book of Job, I love it. It says, when he prayed for his friends, when he served his friends, when he forgave those friends that accused him, you know, and everything, when he prayed for them, then God restored. That's why I encourage you to serve, to pray for those around you. In fact, the Bible says Job is an example of a man who endured patiently. From his experience, we see how the Lord's plan finally ended in good. For he is full of tenderness and mercy. Don't you love that? His plan will finally end in good. Don't you love a good movie or a good book with a happy ending? I do. Well, this Bible has a happy ending for sure. Well, And the chapter in your life right now, it ultimately, God will bring a good ending through it. And then bring about another chapter in your life. Whatever it might be. Could, could I prove it? Would that be okay? Okay, look at this next picture. About three and a half years ago in Fort Wayne, Indiana, a beautiful girl said, I do to me, a geek like me. Her name is Inga. She's not from Sweden. She's from Indiana. So now I'm a Hoosier. And we conceived a child and gave birth to a beautiful boy thereafter. His name is Ezekiel. Ezekiel's been up in an airplane 63 times now as we travel as much together as we can to share the story of hope. It's been more challenging traveling recently because 11 months ago we had another baby. We had a little girl and we named her Estella. And guess what? Here they are. (laughs) <laughs> They're here, so you can see a miracle. Hi, guys. Aren't they beautiful? You're looking at four miracles in front of you all together. Oh, thank you, sir. Mighty man Ezekiel and beautiful blue-eyed, blueberry-eyed Estella and my beautiful bride Inga. She has a beautiful smile, doesn't she? She makes it look easy, but it's not. I don't know how she hears me tell my story hundreds of times. She's a strong lady, but she has a lot of grace to love me and to love you enough to allow me to still share it. And, you know, life is still full of struggles, and we're not exempt. In fact, about six or so weeks ago, I had to rush Inga to the hospital because she was hemorrhaging and had terrible abdominal cramps. And they had to rush her in for surgery and four transfusions, four layers of stitches. Little did we know we were about three months pregnant. And they delivered a little baby boy into our hands, about five inches long. We held our little son named Dale that we named. Little Dale means in a peaceful place. I mean, his fingers, his toes were clearly perfectly formed. And we had to bury him just a few weeks ago. And I never wanted Inga to have to bury a child. But here we are, going on with life. I got seven children in heaven. I mean, it's unfathomable. But God is still good, and I still trust him. And I'm still praying for that dream of a big family picture. (laughs) He's going to bless us with more kids and grandkids and many more. I pray and believe. All right. I love you, sweetie. All right. All right, buddy boy. Go see Aunt Annie. My sister Anne and her husband David live here in Columbus. And... uh, they were, they were with my heavenly family when we went to China and adopted, and so they're very near and dear to our hearts. 
and to our family as well. So let me wrap it up with one last amazing image of God's attention to detail in our lives. You see, after my family's funeral, I had to go to the cemetery and bury all five of them near Kansas City. There's scarcely words to describe that, but I tried to in the book, but it's very difficult to attach words to a moment like that. Well, we had five balloons that my brother had brought to the cemetery, and I just felt compelled to release them. You know, the Christian walk is one of surrender. We have to let go. And I still surrender balloons to this day. It helps me to to release. And, And I held each balloon in my hand, and on the string of each balloon, I didn't quite want to let it pluck out of my fingers. But I did, one by one. They rose up to heaven in a beautiful display, much like their spirits did the week before. Well, we came home and we were just clinging to one another. And I believe it was my sister Anne who stumbled in our laundry room and stumbled upon this calendar that my daughter McKenna had made a year before the flood. And it was still on August, and now that it was September, the month of the funeral, we flipped it up to September and our jaws hit the floor. Because there's McKenna going to heaven. She's got a big smile on her face. Her feet are off the ground. She's holding six balloons. Six people die that night of the flood. There's a woman driving the bus. Melissa was driving our van that night. There's two boys and a girl still in their car seats on that bus. My two sons and youngest daughter were still in their car seats when they found our van that night. If you notice, I'm nowhere in this picture. It's just the five of them. And off to the right is a stoplight that she colored red, kind of like that's the end. Well, if that's not enough, remember that roll of film that they developed in our from our van, the wreckage. Well, they also came out with this picture, taken after the bride and groom had left and all their balloons were on the pavement. Our kids were playing with them. We snapped it. There's McKenna in virtually the same exact pose as she drew a year before. And folks, this was taken a few hours before she went to heaven. Arms up to heaven, balloons in each hand, big smile on her face. Her feet are off the ground. And do you see what's right behind her? There's that stoplight, just like in her picture. You put those two next to each other, folks. This is no coincidence. This is a God incidence. God is Lord over all. He knew about this since before the foundations of the earth. God is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And you will spend eternity in one of those two places. And that's the main reason I'm here today is to make sure you don't blow it, to make sure you don't go out those doors without saying, I know God, because this book is real. You can trust it. You can trust Him. You can dare to hope. In Him, as we lay our burdens and our sorrows at the foot of the cross and say, take these shattered pieces, Lord. Put them back together and do something wonderful. And so I'd like to just share one final song with you that I wrote for my daughter, McKenna, from a father's heart. Because, you know, I had so many questions. Why me, Lord? Why? I'm the protector. I'm the provider. I'm the father. Why? Why did they die, not me? But I was comforted when I realized their last breath on earth was followed immediately by their first breath in heaven. You taught me what it's like to be a daddy To be invincible in your eyes Taught me what it's like to be the king of our castle and whisk my little princess away. 
But what was it like to break the bonds of death into life? And what was it like to breathe in your last breath and not die? What was it like to pierce the earthly veil to heaven? Can you teach me somehow what is heaven like? You taught me what it's like to be your hero, to feel your whole hand wrapped around my finger. You taught me what it's like. To kiss my princess goodnight When the rain came I couldn't save your life McKenna, what was it like To break the bonds of death Into life And what was it like To breathe in your last breath And still not die what was it like to pierce the earthly veil to heaven? Can you teach me somehow what is heaven like? And what is it like to walk through heaven's it like to dance on streets of gold? And what is it like to savor heaven's ice cream? And what is it like to hold Jesus and just gaze in his eyes? voices they left that message just two weeks before the flood 
And I love it because they never said goodbye. <laughs> Do you notice they just said goodnight? I love you. You see, when we know God, when we are in Christ, there is no goodbye. That's our hope. That's why we can dare to hope. That's why we can grieve with hope. Because joy is going to come. Joy will come in the morning. Yes, we weep and endure for a night. That joy is going to come. God will reach in and bring out something beautiful through your ashes. Will you let him? Will you let him this morning? Will you lay your sorrows and your cares and your burdens before him? And let him do a mighty thing and turn it around in Jesus' name. He can do it. With God, all things are possible. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I hope you'll stay for these next few moments as we recount our losses and share our grief together. The reality of life is that it comes in seasons and not all of them are times of joy. Grief and pain enter our life too. We experience loss, the loss of a loved one or a relationship or a marriage, the loss of a business or a job, the loss of our independence as we age, the loss of our purity to poor decisions, even the loss of a dream. And this weekend as a community, we come together to grieve, to recount our losses, whatever they may be, and allow God's healing salve to do its work. God wants us to heal. And He's there for us. Consider the Psalms that say, My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Be still and know that I am God. I cried out to the Lord in my suffering and He heard me. He set me free from all my fears. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation and I will sing to the Lord for He has been good to me. God offers strength in times of sorrow or hurt or grief. And I believe that most of us really want to be able to trust that God is in control when we're in the valleys of life. Pain, loss, and hurt are very real and they have to be acknowledged as such even by the very best of Christians. There's no escaping pain in life. Nowhere are we promised that God will always shield us from these things. In the passage that Robert quoted earlier, Psalm 23, it also says this, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a fact of life. We will all walk there. We'll walk in the valleys. And so today we recount the valleys. Valleys that we have been through and valleys that we are currently walking through. And so today we come and we light a candle in honor of New Life members who have stepped into, into eternity over the past year. And we pray for their families who continue to deal with loss in their lives. We had this service together last November, and since that time, five of the members of New Life have passed. And 
On February 6th, Pat Charlton passed into eternity and met Christ. Later that month, on February 20th, Heather Kreps suddenly collapsed and went on to be with the Lord. On April 17th, Charlene Wendell lost a battle with cancer and went on to be with Christ. Just a couple months later, on June 2nd, Gail Stuckey also lost her battle with cancer. And You know, we say we lose a battle with cancer, but as Roberts reminded us, the next breath was with Jesus. And then in September... Josh Gulvis passed into eternity. And so we mourn these losses together. Yet these are just those who were members of New Life. Many of us have lost family members outside this, this community and this body. Many of us have suffered other hurt and other loss, other moments of grief. And so in these coming moments... They are for us as a community to come together. Maybe you have been one of those who suffered loss and hurt. And you're in the midst of a time of grief. Use this time to come to these altars. I encourage you to take these lighters and light a candle in honor of your loss. Giving it to God. Take time to pray and offer it to Him. There is no rush today. I know we're running a little late. But this is, this is about family. And so I'm going to ask that no one leave for these next few moments because I believe it's honoring to those who are recounting their loss that we as their community stand firm with them. There are others of us who this has not been a year where we've suffered loss. I'd ask that as folks come to these altars and and take a moment there that you join them whether you know them or not and come and pray over them. Pray for peace. Pray for trust. Pray for restoration of relationships. Whatever the situation may be. Maybe even have them share with you what's going on and what that hurt is. The loss or the grief that they are suffering. And that they're offering to God and pray over them. The band is going to softly play. In these next few moments. Will be us as a community and a family coming and offering our losses to God and hopefully leaving this place with a new reliance on Him and a new understanding of what He takes and does with our loss. That He never wastes a hurt.